Hello and welcome to We're Watching What? I'm your host Dana, or the DHKs I'm known, and three films up for a review this week. We've got Thunder Force, Voyagers, and the documentary Hysterical. And without further ado, here's We're Watching What? First up is Thunder Force. It is available streaming now on Netflix, and it's written and directed by Ben Falcone. It stars Melissa McCarthy, Octavia Spencer, Jason Bateman, Melissa Leo, Bobby Cannavale, Palm Clementif. And if you weren't aware, Ben Falcone and Melissa McCarthy are married. I do generally think they are funny. I want to root for Melissa McCarthy, but some of the choices she has been making lately, and choices where I know she has a lot of creative input into this, like I do not doubt that her clout is what got this film made, and not that not to, you know, knock Ben Falcone, but let's acknowledge it, like her clout is what's driving Hollywood through this. He would not necessarily be given a directorial opportunity and a writing opportunity like this had she not been attached. I don't know how they convinced these other people to be in it, I can imagine, based on some of the film, that it was probably a really fun set to be on and they had a lot of fun. The premise of it is Octavia Spencer and Melissa McCarthy are childhood friends. They live in a universe where superpowers have manifested, but they only manifest in people who have a proclivity to violence and, you know, crime and all that stuff. So really, it's only a world of super villains. And Octavia Spencer wants to invent, you know, she's, she's very smart and wants to invent something to help combat that. And mildest of mild spoilers, but basically Octavia Spencer invents a formula that gives ordinary people superpowers and the two of them ended up using him and fighting crime. Clearly a fair amount of budget went into this film because there are lots of effects, you know, there's some high quality costume design, it's all, the money was spent on this, but I, uh, part of me admires the fact that they got to do this like fun pet project and like I said, it seemed like maybe a lot of fun was had on set, but part of me is like, you need a better story than this. There are a lot of, I'll fully acknowledge that I laughed a fair amount in the setup and I would say the setup is the first 10, 15 minutes. It's just, there's a lot of like fun sort of teenaged girl dynamic in the beginning and then it just sort of falls apart. And I'm like, dude, Ben Falcone, you know your wife best. You know her strengths and weaknesses. How did you let all these moments fall flat? How did you set her up like this? And I think it's worth pointing out, Melissa McCarthy has two Academy Award nominations. Octavia Spencer has three and she has won an Academy Award. Melissa Leo has two Academy Award nominations and won one. You have these very talented actresses in this film. Why are you, like, why? They deserve better. This film gets like weird and surreal at points. And there are these moments, and I noticed this in Super Intelligence, which is another film from Falcone and McCarthy that came out on HBO Max last year. It's another one of these sort of, clearly they were allowed to run wild with it films. I'm just like, I think you're actually very funny. And you have these moments that just aren't translating on screen. And they're sort of awkward, dry, uncomfortable moments. And I find those moments can be very funny, but they don't really fully commit to them. And I think you have to commit to them in order for them to, you know, if you're going to repeat them as this sort of running joke. It's just all this stuff where I'm like, you either let them go too long or you don't commit enough to them. Like you don't spend enough time letting them breathe. You're just, the pacing is just all off. I'm finding a real challenge in these roles where McCarthy is basically either allowing writing for herself or letting her husband write for her. I don't I don't know what's going wrong with it, but I just find her so much more powerful when she has a little bit more guidance and I think a little bit more objectivity. Octavia Spencer is... I mean, I kind of feel like she's phoning it in a little bit for this. She's very just sort of calm and neutral and whatever. I'm like, I know you're capable of much more than this. You have shown that. What's happening here? There's a whole weird storyline with Jason Bateman that started to get a little absurd. And I I wanted to lean into that. I love absurd and weird. 
and it felt uncomfortable and there were just so many weird tonal shifts but all the tonal shifts were within this sort of one wavelength range that didn't work and I you know I'm sorry to say I really did want to support this film because I I do think women in comedy are it's just you know I want to see more successful moments like this I will talk about women in comedy with a later documentary I have as a recommendation this week but in terms of Thunder Force I mm, I can't I can't recommend it I'm so sorry I just if you want something weird and absurd that's kind of a buddy comedy and has a lot of weird elements and all that stuff just watch Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar that is I think that movie has stuck with me for a while and I could totally see a Melissa McCarthy character existing in a world like that. And if she had a role in that, a film like that, I, I, I can absolutely imagine at some point they may have approached her for it. But I want her to have the sort of objective guidance in her work that she deserves in order to really just go back to that humorous person that I at least am a fan of. And I'll, I'll give, you know, just to not completely rag on this film, I'll give it a couple compliments. There are a lot of pitfalls they could have fallen into. You know, both Octavia Spencer and Melissa McCarthy are n- not small women. And I think there could have been a lot of fat jokes. Thankfully, they didn't go there. I do like that the sort of super genius characters are the black characters. Octavia Spencer has a daughter in the film who's also super smart. I, I, there's, again, there's it's small moments, but trying to be, just, yeah, no, I'm sorry. In good conscience, can't recommend it. I'm only going to give it two out of five. I'm going to take a quick break and be right back. And I'm back. The next film I have is called Voyagers. It's out in theaters. It stars Colin Farrell, Ty Sheridan, Isaac Hempstead Wright, Lily Rose Depp, Vivek Kalara, Fionn Whitehead, Shantae Adams, and Madison Hu. And okay, so premise-wise, nothing new whatsoever at all. The Earth is overpopulated. We are sending a mission out into space in order to colonize a new planet, blah, blah, blah. We've seen it all before. The decision in this world is to send a bunch of kids who are basically raised in kind of isolation so they don't miss Earth, like the, you know, green fields and blue skies and and nature and stuff like that. They've never experienced that, so they have nothing to miss. Colin Farrell, I call him Space Daddy in this. Colin Farrell plays a scientist who is sort of raising and preparing these kids and decides to go with them on their mission. And I mean, I've seen it compared to Lord of the Flies in terms of what happens. And that's not a spoiler. It's in the trailers. But basically, what happens when you let a bunch of teenagers loose in space? You will see. I, okay, lots of problems with this film. Some of them I will acknowledge are addressed by the plot, but that doesn't mean I like the way they addressed it. I'm gonna, it's it's mildest of mild spoilers here, but I also am not gonna recommend the film to you, so choose to pause now if you'd like and skip to the next film or hear me out but basically these because they are in space and the plan is to have them reproduce at some point in space and then their kids will be the ones who colonize this planet because it would take too long to get there for them to colonize it but because you know you don't want a bunch of horny teenagers running around in space they have them on these sort of hormone suppressants that that temper their wilder needs and then they find out about it and some of them decide not to take it and then all hell breaks loose clearly consent is something that was not taught to these teens. But then again, they weren't expecting to have to teach them this. Part of it gets a little bit into eugenics, which is probably never a good idea. But these kids are essentially bred for this mission and then are in turn expected to breed. Part of the reason they give for them being on this hormone suppressant stuff is there's limited resources on the ship. And if they had kids too early, it would impact the rationing for all of them. But what it doesn't address is at what point are these kids going to choose to pair up? You know, are they given the free will to mate with each other or are they being told, hey, you know, you two will be crossbreeding at some point. It's, it's That doesn't get addressed. And I think that's hugely problematic in addition to the idea of consent. And again, I think that is meant to be part of the plot or lightly addressed in it. And it's just, you know, what happens when some of them are off, off this hormone suppressant and some of them aren't. And 
yeah there, I mean at one point this film just sort of devolves into dry humping in space and I was like I'm uncomfortable with this if I had watched this film six or seven years ago I would go there's no way that's insane one person can't lead a bunch of people into crazy thinking using paranoia tactics and all this stuff there's no way sanity would prevail having lived through the last presidential administration I now am on board with I'm like no okay you know it's possible it, I actually very easily see how fear-mongering and tactics like that can be utilized against other people so it's, I don't know when this one went, went, uh, was written and when it went into production, but I can imagine that maybe that was a part of it. I think uh, maybe it was a little prescient, actually, in terms of some of the predictive things, but also I, I, I'm trying to not spoil anything. So plot-wise, I will just say there are a lot of sort of societal and, and cultural challenges for me. In addition to the fact that there's not a lot of, there, there's almost nothing original in this film. It is borrowing major plot points from many other better films out there. I don't inherently have a problem with borrowing in that sense, but if you're going to do it, do it well, right? If you're going to rely on an audience's knowledge of tropes and all these things, you have to you have to elevate with the acting and the dialogue and all, you know the, all of that stuff. And this is definitely not an elevated film. I also just have a general frustration with these take place in the future. And yet there's clearly a multicultural cast here, but I can always tell when a film goes, okay, we got to have a black kid and we got to have an Asian kid and we got to have like, we'll have an Indian kid just to show that there's two different types of Asians at least. And you know, let's throw in an extra black kid. I baseline appreciate that. But the fact that white is the default with all of these sort of protagonists, especially future science science fiction facing ones, is just really becoming more and more problematic to me. Like representation matters, even in a terrible film like this. Representation should matter. And I think I would actually have given it a little more credence if it hadn't fallen into the tropes of, of course, the white kids are the ones we're going to focus on. If you can't tell, I did not love this film. There were like three or four moments I was like, oh, okay, that could have been something better in the hands of a better director writer uh, Neil Berger is the director writer he is probably best known as the director of Divergent which also means that he has dealt with sort of teens and dystopian future and stuff before he's also the director writer of The Illusionist which I call the bad magic movie from that year the good one of course being The Prestige it's this weird thing where I'm like, okay, because this film is not available on demand, I in, I absolutely in good conscience would not say go to see this in a theater. I do think it's a film sort of meant to be seen in a theater. I saw potential in parts of it. And I think the fact that, you know, all these kids are supposed to act very monotone for part of the film helped with some of them. But overall, I just, you know, I struggled with it. It's not even a super long film. It clocks in under two hours, but it felt like an eternity. So I am only going to give it 1.5 out of 5. I just think there are too many problems that it could not solve and too many things it borrowed that it did not improve upon at all. My final film for this week is called Hysterical. It's a documentary. It is out now. I saw it as part of South by Southwest, but I believe it premiered on FX and is now streaming on Hulu. And it basically is diving into the world of stand-up comedy through a bunch of female comedians. And I'm someone who is a fan of comedy. I think there's sort of tiers of fans of comedy, right? There are the people who are like really into that world. And, you know, there's also a separation between stand-up and improv and all that stuff. But this is mostly focused on stand-up comedians. It's a world that has been very problematic lately, focusing on the men involved. And so getting to see it through the lens of these women and just sort of the 
BS they have to put up with, but they are clearly very, very funny. You you know, you get to see parts of their sets and you're like, it should be d- a duh moment that they are funny. I don't understand why, you know, we have to say a female comedian. They should just be comedians. And yet we are not at that point yet where we can talk about that field as sort of equitable. I think this film does a good job of exploring sort of the challenges and the reasons that things are the way they are. That doesn't mean those reasons are valid, but they just sort of go into it and the the extra hurdles that a lot of these women have faced. I don't think it really shames an audience. It's not out here trying to be like, men are terrible and the worst and they're all horrid people. No, but it is saying like, hey, there have been some challenges and gender plays a part of it. But here are these very, very funny people who happen to be women. I, I discovered several female comics out of it that I just wasn't aware of and I've you know, listened to their stuff and it's very funny. I just think it's it's a really interesting look. It's also not afraid to ask you to make an emotional investment and I don't want to spoil how or why but there's there's just a lot of, it, it tackles a lot of subjects that are not fun or funny that because these very talented women are the ones talking about them, it's done in a very entertaining way that feels like it addresses the issues at hand but doesn't want to make you go like wah wah and cry afterwards. I highly recommend it. It's hysterical. I give it four out of five. That has been it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, we would love it if you could leave us a rating or a review or even consider subscribing.